so thankful to be with you. And uh, boy, I love Florida. I don't know about you, but I love Florida. And I heard you guys are desperate for rain around here or something, you know. And uh, I'm so thankful to be with you. We are uh, from Birmingham, Alabama. And some of you that have heard me talk probably understand that a little better than others. And uh, I've been a youth pastor at New Life Baptist Church, my home church, for seven years. And I tell folks I love being youth pastors. I love candy. And I love playing games and having a lot of fun and cutting up. And uh, we're so excited to begin traveling in evangelism. It's been on my heart for a long time. And the Lord's opened doors this year. And interestingly enough, uh, a lot of those doors have been in South Florida. And so we just decided we'll just make it our home away from home. And uh, y'all got enough beaches for us and uh, good fishing down here and some great churches. And so I'm so thankful to be with you. I'm thankful for your pastor. I really am. And uh, Pastor Keeley had a wonderful influence on my life. And in fact, by God's grace and uh, his mercy, I, sur I survived two semesters of Greek uh, with your pastor. And uh, I'm sure he would have some fun things to say about me being in his class. Uh, but he honestly was one of my favorite teachers. And I took, I believe it was the book of Acts with your pastor. And I've understood that he's taught uh, through that here at church in one of my favorite classes. And so I, I, I do love Pastor Keeley. And, of course, he's not here, you know, to welcome me or anything. Uh, hopefully the feeling's mutual. Uh, just kidding, of course. But I do love your pastor, and I'm growing to love your church. Just getting to meet you folks. Uh, you've got a beautiful place here. The Lord's been good to you. And uh, thankful to see some smiling faces this morning. And uh, I was just kidding about the rain. So if it rains for two more weeks, don't blame it on me, okay? Take your Bible. Go to Luke chapter 15 this morning. Luke chapter 15. You know, as we travel in evangelism, our goal is really twofold. Obviously, we want to glorify the Lord, but our heart's cry is to see the lost saved and the saved stirred. And uh, this morning, whether you're lost without Christ, we hope that through the preaching of His Word, you'll come to saving faith this morning and assurance of your salvation. But if you are saved this morning, I hope you'll be stirred a little bit. And I love going to church and uh, getting my toes stepped on every once in a while and just stirred up and encouraged. And I hope this morning my heart is that you'd be encouraged from the Word of God and, uh, and be challenged. Look at Luke chapter 15, and in fact, if you want to just leave a bookmark here, we're going to be here tonight too. How about that? And a kind of a two-part uh, series, mini-series here, if you will. I love this parable in Luke chapter 15. You know, Jesus often taught with parables, and uh, we call parables an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. How about that? And I think there's a little more to them because Jesus is the one telling these earthly stories. And I love a good, a good story. My grandmother is an incredible storyteller. You know, she makes it come to life. But when Jesus told a story, he could do it in a way that just made spiritual truth come to life. And you could just understand it. And so we get a few parables in this passage this morning. But I want us to turn our attention to verse number 11. Luke chapter 15 and verse 11. This is actually the third parable in this chapter. And we'll probably reference the other two, but look at this parable with me, a familiar passage if you've been in the Word of God for any length of time. But look at Luke chapter 15, and we'll read this parable together, verse number 11. And God's Word says, And he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portions of good that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. In verse 14, God's word says, And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. 
And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Verse 20. And he arose, came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in thy sight am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put on him the uh, put uh, uh, put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found, and they began to be merry. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you for. Lord, the, the music that has directed our attention to the goodness of God and to the blessings that we have in God. and God, we're just blessed to be in church this morning. May we not take that for granted. And the health and strength that you've given us, Lord, the freedom that we have to assemble together. And Lord, as we've just read your word, Lord, your living word, the precious and holy word of God, we thank you for it and, and, and that we can have a copy of it in our lap this morning. And so we just ask that the Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts this morning. God, I realize that uh, although I've come all the way from Alabama, it is not me that these folks need to hear from this morning. Lord, it is you. It is your word. It is the Holy Spirit. And God, I need to hear from you this morning. And so we just invite you to speak to our hearts. And Lord, I ask that you just get me out of the way this morning. I thank you for the privilege of just getting to be your mouthpiece. But I pray that I wouldn't say anything that you wouldn't have me to. And that I would say the things you would have me to. And that, Father, through your word this morning, our toes would be stepped on a little bit. We'd be encouraged. We'd be convicted. And we'd take that next step closer to Christ, Lord, whatever it may be in our lives. And we love you. And we thank you for what you're going to do in our midst today. Lord, encourage your people. Challenge them today. We pray this in your name. Amen. You know, over the last, I guess, six, seven, eight months, we've heard a lot about symptoms, haven't we? I mean, good night. I flew uh, yesterday, and, uh, you know, social distancing doesn't apply on an airplane. You know, we're just packed in there like sardines. And before I got on the plane, I got this message about if you have displayed any of these symptoms in the last 14 days, then you can't get on the plane. And I thought, well, you know, by accident, I may have had one of those symptoms, you know, but we've learned a lot about symptoms, aren't we? And what are symptoms, church? You know what symptoms are? Symptoms are outward signs typically of inward problems, aren't they? I can't see the coronavirus. I guess we could maybe look under a microscope today or, or something and see it. But you know what we do see is the effects of it, don't we? And so we've become kind of used to looking for those symptoms, haven't we? Oh, no, I've got a cough. Oh, no, I've got a fever. Symptoms are signs we can see of an inward problem. I remember several years ago, my grandfather had purchased a new bass boat. And it wasn't new, okay, but to us it was better than the, uh, than the ark that we had before, okay? And uh, the one before it just had a hole, it just leaked and you just, you know, had to keep the water out of it. And so we had this, this new-to-us bass boat and, uh, you know, by today's standards it wasn't anything incredible, but, but we were excited and so we were going to take it out for the first time and, and we were just pumped, you know, it's actually going to work right and, and, and the water's not going to come in, it's going to be wonderful, 
And so it was me, my dad, uh, I think uh, my sister, my cousin, maybe my brother. I mean, we just had this thing thing loaded, and we launched the boat, and here we go, headed out to uh, on the lake here, just ready for a great day and a lot of fun. And as we begin, we're, we're not really flying down the river at this point. We're just going out. We began to notice that water was coming up at our feet, okay, inside the boat, okay? Not that we got our feet uh, over the edge of the boat, but inside the boat, uh, and I don't know a lot about boats, but I know that's not good, okay? That's, that's not a good situation. And so we begin to uh, panic, okay, at that point, and we realize this is a sign that something is wrong, okay? Is that fair this morning? And what we realized, though we couldn't see it at the time, is that water coming in the boat was a symptom, a really clear symptom that we had forgotten to put the plug in the boat, okay? I don't know if everybody's ever done that before, but we almost sunk the boat that day. Thankfully, we didn't. But, you know, that was just a sign, a clear one, something is wrong. And church, I want to say to you this morning that just in, as in the physical realm, there are symptoms to problems that might be underlying in our body or in our life. So there are spiritual symptoms that indicate problems in our life. And I would say sometimes there is just as obvious in my life as that water that should not be in the boat. And you know, when we come to Luke chapter 15, there's a, a lot of good preaching in this parable here. There's a lot of ways we could go. But what the Lord was showing me this week is that here we come to two young men. Okay, an older son and a younger son, and we're going to look at them both, who had symptoms in their life that spiritually they needed help. Spiritually they needed, I'm going to use a word that we use sometimes, they needed revival. They needed revival. You know, I look around at our nation, church, and we, we need a lot of things in our nation today, and there's a lot of uh, things we could say about that, but I would say ultimately we need revival. We need revival. I've come to the conclusion that the only hope for America is revival. The only hope, it's not in other places, it's revival. And what is revival? You know, sometimes we use the word revival and we think, well, it's big services or it's a bunch of people coming to the altar getting saved. And you know what? Revival may, that may happen in revival. But let me give you for a definition of a revival that's just really simple. Revival is a return to normal Christian living. That's all it is. It's return. If you study the word revival in the Old Testament, here's what you find. It always deals with returning to normal, returning to normal. You know, if, uh, if we revive somebody physically, then uh, maybe they've coded or maybe they've gone under, right? And what do we do? We, we bring their subnormal state back to normal living state, right? Get their heart rate up, get them breathing again. And in a spiritual sense, church, I can say that sometimes I find myself in need of just getting back to what should be normal Christian living in my life. And we come to two young men, and there's symptoms in their life that just say, you need revival. You need revival. You need to get things right. I mean, it's pretty obvious with the first guy we just read about, isn't it? But, but you need to get right with God. And you know, as I was, I was studying this passage, and I came up with all these points, and I thought, you know what, that, I'm going to lose them at, at point number four there, you know? And I thought, you know what, as I studied and I looked at it, I thought, there's four primary things that I see in these young men that when I find in my life ought to be an indicator, Ethan, something is going wrong subsurface here. Something is, is in your life spiritually is not right, and you need to get that right with God. In church this morning, I want to just be really simple. It's no, no, no mind-blowing points here, but just really simple. And look at these two young men and examine our own lives and say, hey, are there things in our life that point to a need for revival, a need to return to normal Christian living? All right. So notice the first symptom with me, and we'll see it in verse number 12 here. And I'm just going to call that symptom what it is. It is selfishness. 
selfishness. Notice verse 12, and this is the younger brother. He comes to his dad here. He's got an inheritance coming his way, but he's tired of waiting on it. I mean, dad may live another 20 years, right? And so watch what he says to his dad here, verse, uh, verse number 12. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that follow to me. And he divided unto them his living. Church, very simply, when we become consumed with ourselves, not even considering what our Father wants or what others need, then we need revival. And that's where this young man is. He is living for self. It's about me. It's not about what Dad wants. It's not about what's best for my brother or my family or my testimony or what others need. It's about me. It's about the way that I want to live. You know, ultimately, this is where sin and where separation from God begins. It begins out of a heart of selfishness. You know, interestingly enough, I was reading this week, in the book of Isaiah, we get a, uh, just a, a dialogue, if you will, a description of what happened to Satan when he fell from heaven. And what his attitude was. Can you imagine? Heaven's a perfect place. How could you want anything more? How could you want anything differently? And here's Satan's attitude, Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 14. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? And here's what the scripture says. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. You know why Satan fell? Because he was selfish. It's about me. What happened in the garden as the devil comes down to earth and tempts Eve? Selfishness happens. I'll read the scriptures to you. Genesis 3, verse 5 and 6. As Eve is tempted and, 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 and Satan says, you know what? This, this, this fruit will actually work for your good. Eve, you'll know good and evil and you'll be just like God. And verse 5, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. Why did they eat? They're selfish. I want to be like God. I want this fruit in my life. You know, I know what God said, but it's about me, and it's about what I want. And the devil did the same thing, and don't we do this? You know, I was just thinking through the Bible about the different major sins that we read about in the Bible and we teach about. And think about them with me. I'll just highlight a few. You know, Jacob comes and and uh, 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 Jacob's going to uh, trick his father and get, steal the blessing away from Esau, right? And he's the younger brother, but he wants the older brother blessing, right? And so he's going to trick his dad. And why did he do that? He's selfish. He wants what he wants. I was thinking about old Achan. That's a good story. And the, 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 the children of Israel march around the walls of Jericho, and the walls come tumbling down, and God says, don't take a thing. That's pretty simple. Right? Just, just don't take it. Not this time. There'll be other times. Not this time. And yet Achan takes some spool, doesn't he? he takes some clothing, he takes some gold, and, and he hides it. Why? He's selfish. He's selfish. I was thinking about David. He's king of Israel, and he commits adultery, and he arranges murder. And why would he do that? Because he's selfish. He wants what he wants. I was thinking about Jonah. Jonah's a prophet. He's a preacher. And why does he run away from God's will? Because I want what I want, God. I know what's best for me. And he's not even considering his father. Let's think about Peter. When Peter denies the Lord three times. Why? It was about what other people thought about him. It was about his safety and what he wanted. I mean, look at the nation of Israel. We read the Old Testament. What is it filled with? 
God says do this, and they don't do it. God says don't do this, and they do it. It's about what we want, and they're selfish. We don't want just manna, God. We want meat. I mean, good night, we get a grocery store outside of our tent every day, you know, free food, and we're going to pay taxes on it. How about that? And, you know, it's not good enough, God. We want meat. We want what we want. We want our high places. We want a king just like everybody else. But church, you know why we come to church is to take the mirror of God's word and shine it upon ourselves. And so let's just ask ourselves these questions this morning. Is life about us? That's a sticky question, isn't it? Is life about me? How much money can I make for myself? What kind of car do I want to drive? How much pleasure can I enjoy? You know, I, uh, I'm thankful for social media. Maybe some are tuning in even on social media this morning. But you know what social media generally is about? It's about me, isn't it? Guess what I did today? Look at this fish I caught today, right? I mean, uh, and there's nothing wrong in, in, in enjoying some fun with that. But you know what social media generally is about? How many friends I have? How many likes can I get? It's about me, isn't it? There was a sociologist who wrote this about the millennial generation, and that's my generation, so I'm telling on myself this morning, is that fair? And she had this to say. She said the millennial generation as a whole is the most narcissistic or self-absorbed generation in the history of the world. Life is about us. And you know what? When I look at my life, and I'm so concerned with myself and not what the Father wants or what other people in my life need, I need revival. I need to get my life right. But notice, not only was he living for himself, he was living for stuff. For stuff. He wanted money. He wanted possessions. He wanted friends. God, give me this money, Dad, so I can go buy a, a cool life. When our primary focus, church, listen to this, please. When our primary focus in life is on temporal things rather than eternal things, we need revival. Amen. We need revival. You know, we're so focused with our image and, and all these things. And listen, I'm, I'm not preaching against wealth this morning. I'm not preaching against having nice things. I'm thankful. We live in the United States of America. And you travel around the world and you realize we're all blessed this morning, okay? We all have nice things compared to the world. But when those things become uh, uh, our focus and when our life revolves around and most important to us, then I would say this morning we've lost a normal Christian living and we need revival, 2 Corinthians tells us that eternal things, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Church, I wonder this morning, if you could take a list and just write down the most important things in life to you. And there'd be some good things on that list that, that, that ought to be on that list. My wife, my family, boy, those things ought to be on that list. And, and there's nothing wrong with that or unbiblical about that. But maybe we go down the list and we think, some of those things that make the list, if we just examine them, how many of those things are eternal? How many of those things are going to last when you're not here? Where is God's place on that list? Where is God's word on that list? Where is his church on that list? Where are the lost and dying souls around you and around the world? You know, they tell us that there are over 4 billion people on this planet right now breathing who do not know Jesus. 4 billion. Boy, that ought to, that ought to be on our priority list. But you know, sometimes we're so consumed with ourselves. We're so consumed with ourselves. Hey, would, would you notice Revelation chapter 3? If you got your Bible, I want you to turn there this morning. I want you to see this. In these chapters of Revelation, God is dealing with different churches and some of the issues they had going on. And then he turns to this church in, in Revelation chapter 3, uh, which is the church of Laodicea. You familiar with them? They're the lukewarm church, okay? And he gives us this, you know, because you're not, I want you to be cold or, or, or hot, 
but because you're not cold or hot, you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. Isn't that a beautiful picture to think about this boy? I'll just throw you up. Nothing worse in life, well, almost nothing worse in life to me than throwing up. You know, I hate it. You ask my wife, I just would rather a lot of other things, okay? But, but what was the problem with this church? Notice uh, verse number 17. This is, is, is their attitude. Because thou sayest, this is your attitude, church in Laodicea, I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You know what this church said? They said, we're okay because we've got things. We have money. We've got a nice church building. We've got all these things. And I would just say to you, church, that in its place, none of those things are sinful necessarily or wrong. But when we elevate those things above things that are eternal in our life, then we need revival. We need revival. Selfishness is a symptom. Notice the second symptom, if you will. And look at verse 13. So he gets his money, right? Dad gives him his money. And I don't know what the conversation went like and how long he had to beg for it. But dad finally gives in and gives him his money. And then we notice the second symptom in verse number 13. And it's really obvious. But notice the verse with me. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. You know, I'd say the second symptom that when we see it in our life is a sign. Hey, we need revival and that is sinfulness. When we find ourselves living in sin, we need revival. And, you know, I know you're in church this morning, right? So it's easy to say, well, you know, I'm not what she is, or I'm not what he is, or, you know, those sins that are just, just wicked. Like, I, I don't do those sins. But you know what? It's easy to put a pass on those little sins in our life, isn't they? Little sins. Notice the younger brother's sins. Riotous living. You know, the Scripture doesn't give us uh, the details of this, but we can imagine, can't we, that he was probably living in immorality? Church, we, we have a world today that immorality has just become the norm. It's just accepted, even in the church. Even in the church. We can imagine that he probably uh, was drunk and, and, and all kind of other things happened in his life, and he's living in gross sin. But I want you to notice the older brother's sins, too. You know, when we read this parable, we come down and the younger son comes home, and dad is so happy. Man, my son that was lost is found, and he's alive again. And, and watch the response of the older brother, verse 25. Let's just keep reading in our passage here, Luke 15, verse 25. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And you know what the response should be? Man, that's awesome. I'm so glad that my brother who was off in the world and was living immorally and, and, and was addicted to sin and just in a mess. I'm so glad he's come home and he's right with dad. And, but that's not the response we get, is it? Verse 28, and he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any, at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. Can you see the sin issues in this dude's life? Pride. 
right? Self-righteousness. Dad, don't you know, I didn't go out and do what, what, what younger brother did, and, and I've served you all this time. Don't I deserve what he gets? And, and you've never done those things for me. I would say there's bitterness in his life, isn't there? Can you imagine, church, what he's bitter over? His brother has come home, is not living in sin, and yet he's angry about it. He's bitter because dad's treating him. He's covetous. You know, church, it's, it's amazing to me when we read in Proverbs and, and God's Word says, these six things doth the Lord hate. Now, I just want to stop right there and say, if I was making that list, I could put some things on that list. Anybody else right here? You know, I could put some things on that list. I mean, we could make a list of just gross, just, just sins that we would consider just, I mean, these are just the worst. But you know what God puts on that list? These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. Number one, <laughs> a proud look. Number two, a lying tongue. And hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. Isn't that interesting that God hates when we think wickedly? Well, I wouldn't do those things, but do we think those things? Do we dwell on those things? And that displeases our Father. Feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. And church, I just want to encourage us this morning that it is so easy to shine a spotlight out on other people, isn't it? It is so easy to get on social media and post, man, this is so wrong. And can you believe what this politician did and, and all these things? And you know what we need to do this morning in the house of God? Is, is We're here in church, so let's turn the spotlight on ourselves this morning. God, am I right with you? And I want to say to you, church, that I think this story is really about two prodigal sons. Because there are prodigals that leave the father's house, and there are prodigals that run away and live in sin. But I want to say to you, and I've experienced this in my own life, that often there are prodigals in the father's house. And there are prodigals not right with God. And I've sat in church services in a long time and, and know that you can look real spiritual on the inside of all kinds of pride, and self-righteousness, and sin issues that nobody may know about. And I just want to encourage you this church uh, this morning, have you become complacent with sin? Does sin get a pass in your life? Is your thought life a big deal that it's wicked and lustful and hateful? You know, church, I was thinking about this this morning. Uh, we were talking about yesterday that you guys have these big snakes down here, right? These snakes that eat alligators. I thought, any snake that eats alligators needs to go extinct, okay? I'm just saying right now, like, that is not cool. And, uh, and, and so uh, we were talking about these big snakes. And one of the things we mentioned, Brother God, is that a lot of people will get these these, these snakes when they're babies, you know, and they're cute. Not to me, but maybe to somebody else, okay? And they're cute, and, and they wrap around you or whatever and just crawl around. And what happens over time is those baby snakes become what? Become big snakes. And how many, you know, I've, I've heard the illustrations before of, you know, the little pet snake that grew up, and before too long it choked and killed its owner. You know, church, that's a great illustration of sin. Sin comes into our life and we think it's just a small thing. It's not a big deal. Nobody knows about it, right? Preacher hadn't even preached on it, so it can't be that bad, right? And these sin issues come in our life and we think they're not a big deal. But you know what? Sin grows, doesn't it? The Bible talks about how sins are chains that, that wrap around us. And before too long, that sin becomes so great and it is choking us spiritually. And I just want to ask you this morning, is there sin in your life? And you just need to get reliable. You need to get it right with God. You know, maybe we could have the attitude that the psalmist did. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. There's a preacher who was preaching. 
he was preaching pretty hard on sin. And they came to him afterwards, and some of the folks in the church, they said, you know, preacher, you just need to tone it down. You know, don't really call sin what it is, and boy, we're good at that in the U.S., aren't we? Don't really call sin what it is, just tone it down, and don't be so harsh on sin and all those things. And the preacher walked over, and I don't know how he had it or where he had it. It's just an illustration, but there was a bottle of poison sitting over there, and it was dangerous. Maybe it was something to kill rats with or something. And took that bottle of poison. And he said, so what you're asking me to do is to change the label. He said, could you imagine if I took this bottle of poison that's deadly and I put peppermint on it? And he said this, he said, the softer the label, the more deadly the poison. You know, church, when we get soft on sin, be careful. Be careful. You know, I think sin isn't as big of a deal to us because we don't see it the way God sees it. Can I remind you this morning that sin is what separates us from God? That sin is what caused His only begotten Son to go to the cross and die and be beaten and tortured? How do you think that that God views sin? Boy, He hates it. He detests it. And He loves the sinner this morning, but He hates the sin. And I would just say to you this morning, is there sin in your life? You know, I had to ask myself as I was studying this, Ethan, what is in your life that is separating from God? Ethan, what is in your life that, are are you living the way you ought to? So we see selfishness is a symptom. Sinfulness is a symptom. Notice a third symptom here. And I would just say very clearly, separation. He's not close to his father anymore, is he? He's left his father's presence. He he, he doesn't want to be close to daddy. He doesn't want to be close to his father anymore. When we find ourselves distant in our relationship with our heavenly father, then we need revival. I want to just just ask yourself this morning, how is your relationship with God this morning? How is it? This week, you know, this past week, how much time did you spend in his word? Boy, I know we're busy, aren't we? Life is so busy. My wife and I, we, we, we sit down sometimes and we think, well, you know, when this gets done, then life will slow down. And it never does, you know. There's always something that comes up. But you know what? We ought to take time for God, for God's word. How, how, have you been in his word this week? Joshua tells us that we're to meditate on these things day and night. Have you been in his word? Has, have you talked to God this week? Have you talked to God? You got problems in your life? Anybody else like me? You got problems in your life? Too many to count, right? Have you talked to God about those things this week? How's your relationship with God? When you come to church, are you just, man, I, I, I love church. I really do. When you come to church, is it just, I'm just going to endure it? You know, maybe pastor will just be a little bit shorter this week, you know, and no, he's got a guest preacher. We'll be in it forever, you know, and is it, is it just an endure thing or when you come to the church, you think, man, I just can't wait to sing about the goodness of God this morning. I just can't wait to, man, pastor's going to preach and I want God to speak to my heart. How was your relationship with God this morning? Can you imagine, church, me and my wife, I love my wife. I wish she was here uh, because you, uh, she's just definitely the better half of this, of this situation. I tell you that. And my pastor says all the time, he says, I outkick my coverage, you know. And uh, so I'm thankful for my wife. And can you imagine if I told my wife, I said, listen, honey, it's just going to be a busy week. And we're married, you know. We have a relationship. And, but, you know, we're not, we're not going to talk this week. You know, I mean, maybe Tuesday morning I've got 15 minutes. Okay. And if you're lucky and you do the coffee just right, okay, We'll sit and talk for 15 minutes. And beside that, I mean, the schedule's going to be busy. And look at this, Friday. Okay, maybe Friday evening, half an hour. And, you know, even while we got that half an hour, I'm not paying attention to her. I'm not really having to care what she's going to say. How many of you think that's going to be a great relationship? Anybody in this morning think that is just the bomb.com marriage relationship right there, okay? Nobody. And I can tell you because I know my wife that uh, there would be some issues, okay? And I'd hear about it. And why is it church? 
Why is it church that we think we can spend, you know, 15 minutes or spend half an hour in church a week and not even really paying attention to what, what's going on and think that we have a good relationship with God? You know, my wife and I, I'm thankful by God's grace that I love my wife and we have a good relationship. And you know why? Because we are constantly communicating. I talked to her this morning. I want to talk to her after I'm done. I love my kids. We, we've got uh, two little kids and one on the way. And, you know, we're constantly communicating. You know, God wants a personal relationship with you, and it is built on communication. And when we're not in his word and we're not praying and we're not walking with him, we need revival. We need revival. I love the illustration. Uh, you know, ladies love diamonds. And there was this man who uh, had been after a diamond, and he walked into a diamond shop that had told him, we've got the diamond that you're looking for. He sat down and the salesman began presenting the diamond and here's what it is and you know all the C's, the cut, clarity and you know whatever they are and, and was presenting the diamond and after a few minutes he turned around and he began to walk out. And I was shocked. He thought, man, this is the diamond the guy wants. What's wrong with him? And the owner of the store walked up and he said, sir, would you just wait just a minute and, and just give me a minute to uh, talk to you about this diamond and present this diamond to you. And so sure enough, the owner of the store began talking about his admiration for this diamond and, and how precious it was and how rare it was and, and, and how much he adored it and it was wonderful. And in just a few moments, the man was signing the papers to buy the diamond. He got ready to walk out of the store and he said, wait he said, wait a minute. He said, what just happened? He said, your salesman came to me and presented me all these facts and figures and all this stuff. And he said, I didn't really care about it. But when you talked to me, he said, I, I, I bought the diamond immediately. He said, how did that happen? The owner of the store told the man, he said, sir, he said, my salesman is very knowledgeable. He said, I pay him really well because he knows a lot about diamonds. He said, but I would pay him, I'd pay him even greater if he had what I had. And the man was thinking, what, what does he have that this man who knows everything about diamonds is in? And he said this, he said, my salesman knows diamonds, but I love diamonds. You know, church, what I'm afraid of sometimes is that we know God, and we know about God, but we don't love God. We don't have that, God, I've got to have you in my life, and God, I've got to get in your word today, and you've got to speak to me, God. This is the most important time of my entire day, and church is one of the most important events of my, of my life this week, and I just wonder this morning, is there separation between you and your father? This, this young man walks, wakes up one day, and he's in a pig's pen, and dad is way over there, and you know what he says? I need to fix this. I need revival. And then notice one more symptom, and we're done this morning, I promise, okay? One more symptom this morning. When we find these symptoms in our life, we need revival. And what are they? Selfishness. He's living for himself. He's living for stuff. Sinfulness. Whether it's the major, you know, blatant sin of the younger son, or it's those more quieter, but still as wicked sins of the older brother of covetousness, pride and self-righteousness and those things in our life. So, selfishness, and then sinfulness but notice one more one more with me this morning not only that separation but notice this last symptom with me this morning and that is sorrow sorrow notice verse 14 when he had spent all there arose a mighty famine in that land and he began to be in want and he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine and would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat and no man gave unto him Church, I want to say this to you this morning. When we have lost the joy of the Lord and find ourselves living in sorrow, then we need revival. You know, I found it interesting as I was studying that one of the revival prayers in the Old Testament is in Psalm 85, 6. 
And, and the psalmist asked this question, Wilt thou not revive us again? God, don't you want to revive your people? God, don't you want to heal your people? God, don't you want to heal us and forgive us and get us back where we need to be? And what is the result of that? Wilt thou not revive us again? Why? That thy people may rejoice in thee. You know what revival brings? It brings joy into our hearts and lives. Why? Because we're not distant from our Father. We don't have the regret of living in sin. We're living for eternal things. And there is joy and peace and harmony in those things. Nehemiah 8 tells us the joy of the Lord is our strength. Philippians 4 commands us, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And I want to say this to to you, church. I realize that in life there are seasons of sorrow. Aren't there? Realize that Jesus, when he came to his good friends Lazarus, after he had passed away, what did he do? He wept. He was sorrowful because he saw the hurt of others. You know what? Life is filled with sorrow. I'd say over the last months, there's been a lot of sorrow in our country. There's been a lot of hurt. There's been family members who have been lost in jobs and really tough financial situations. You know what? That is sorrow. But you know, in life there are seasons of sorrow, but they are to be just that. Seasons. And not a perpetual state of living in gloom and doom. Hey, you know what? If you're saved this morning, the worst thing that could happen to you, I hate to say the worst thing, is that you die and go to heaven this morning. How about that? (laughs) That's a pretty good way to live, isn't it? And you know what that brings in my life? It brings joy. It brings peace. Hey, the God of the universe met with me this morning. How about that? There is joy in that. And even before I got to church, I was listening to some music and just being reminded of my father and how he loves me and he's forgiven me. And there is joy in that this morning. I just want to encourage you that if your life is filled with sorrow and and you just can't seem to put a smile on your face and get happy, you need revival this morning. You need to be reminded of the goodness of God. You need to count your blessings. You know, this evening I'm excited to focus on steps that this young man took to revival. But before we get there this morning, I just wonder, are the symptoms in your life? You know, maybe you're here this morning and and you don't even know the Father personally. You don't don't know that your sins have ever been forgiven, that, that you have a home in heaven. That joy is not in your life as I've just described because there's no peace in your heart that you're going to go to heaven someday. And I would just encourage you this morning that just as this father loved his son and longed for him to come home, there is a heavenly father that loves you this morning and sent his son to die upon a cross to save you. And this morning he'll pardon your sins. And if you by faith receive him as your savior, he'll give you a home in heaven. But I wonder, as Christians this morning, and I, church, I just write with you this morning, the mirror of God shines upon my life this morning. And I have to ask myself the question, are there symptoms in my life that I need revival? I'm so selfish sometimes. So selfish. Sin gets in my life sometimes. Sinfulness, doesn't it? It's easy. It's easy to get that sin in your life. Sometimes my life is, is filled with separation from God, and I don't have that relationship with Him. I don't have that fellowship and walk with Him that I should. And you know what? Sometimes I'm living in sorrow, and I wonder this morning, are those symptoms in your life? Do you need revival? There's a great evangelist, a revival preacher in the 19th century and early 20th century. And when describing how to have revival, he had a very interesting statement about it, and I think it's very true. How do you have revival? How, how do you see God work in your life? How, how do you get where God is moving and God is personal again? You're excited about your faith in him, and here's what he said. He said, if you want to have revival, he said, step into a room and draw a circle around yourself. And he said, you pray this. He said, Lord, we need revival, and let it start inside this circle. Church, revival this morning is not for them. 
Stop for all those wicked, you know, people we see on the news. And all. No, 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 no. Revival's for me. Revival's for you this morning. We need a lot of things in our country, but more than anything, I think we need revival. We need Christians who will live normally. Live how God asks us to. And I wonder this morning, are the symptoms in your life that point to a need for revival? Let's bow our heads in prayer together. Lord, we love you. And we need you to move in our hearts this morning. God, it is easy to sit through messages like this and just shovel the truth over our shoulder towards someone that we think is worse off than we are. But Lord, when we do that, honestly, in our own heart, we've indicated a need for revival. God, may we just allow the mirror of your word to show clearly who we are and what we stand in need of this morning. Lord, maybe someone in this room this morning does not know you as their Savior. They, they've never personally received you. Heaven, they don't know about heaven, and if they, would, if they die today, that they spend eternity there. And I pray that they would get that settled. But Lord, maybe there's some Christians in the, in the room this morning, and if we're just real honest between our Heavenly Father, Lord, this morning we would say, you know, I am selfish. The choices I make in my life are not about my father. They're not about other people. They're not about my testimony. They're not about eternal things. They're about me. Maybe in our life this morning, you've pointed out some sinfulness, whether it's blatant things, Lord, or those underlying things of uh, pride and of covetousness and of self-righteousness and of, of bitterness in our life. Father, I pray that we deal with that. Maybe we just realize this morning, hey, I'm not where I need to be with God. Hey, I don't feel closeness to God. And I'm just, I feel separated and distant. And I don't have that fire anymore. And I pray this morning, Father, that we would just get that right with you. Lord, maybe there's sorrow in our hearts. And we're constantly living in sorrow. And we can't have the joy of the Lord. We can't rejoice in the Lord. We can't sing those hymns of praise. And I pray this morning, Father, that we'd wake up and realize in our hearts and lives this morning that we need revival. I wonder just a minute, church, with our heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment. I appreciate your attention. I'm not going to keep you long, but I wonder, would there be one this morning and say, you know, Brother Ethan, preacher, I don't know that I'm saved. And you don't know me, and maybe it's your first time here, or maybe you've been a member for a long time, and, and I don't know the difference this morning. And there's kind of some coolness in that, but I wonder this morning if you would say, you know, preacher, I just don't know for sure if I die that heaven be my home, and, and I don't have that peace in my heart this morning, and preacher, that bothers me, and would you just pray for me? And I'm not going to embarrass you this morning, I'm not going to call you out, I'm not, not going to walk up to you or anything like that, but I would like to pray for you this morning. There's a God in heaven that loves you, that wants to be your personal Savior this morning. There's no greater news in the world than that. And I just wonder, would there be one in the room this morning, or a couple who would say, you know, preacher, if I were just honest, I just don't know that I'm saved this morning. And preacher, would you just remember me as you pray that God would help me to get that settled? Would there be anybody like that, and you just raise your hand and say, that's my heart this morning. If I were just honest, I just don't know. I just don't have it settled. Anyone at all like that, I, won't, I don't want to miss you. I'll pray for you this morning. I'd love to pray for you. I see that hand. God bless you. And I see that hand. God bless you. Anyone else who say this morning, I just don't know for sure that I'm saved. I just don't know for sure. I just, I just got doubts, and I just don't have peace about it. Anyone else, I don't want to miss you this morning. As I said before, God loves you. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. And you know why? Your sin will separate you from God for all of eternity. He offers you a free gift called eternal life this morning. And if you'll cry out to God, admit to him that you're a sinner, placing your faith and trust in him, ask him to save you this morning. He will be your personal savior. In just a moment as we pray, we'll have some folks up here that if you'd like to come talk to them and just say, hey, I've got some questions or I've got some doubts. If you just walk forward and say, hey, I want to know for sure I'm going to heaven. Hey, I'll step down. I'd, I'd love to share from God's word how you can know that. We encourage you to do that. But right there where you're sitting, you can trust Jesus as your savior. And we hope that you will.
But I want a Christian this morning, you say, I'm saved, but preacher this morning, I just noticed some symptoms in my life that indicate I need revival. There's some symptoms in my life that if I were just honest before you and before God Almighty this morning, there's just some things in my life, whether it's selfishness or sin or I just don't have the relationship that I should with God or it's sorrow in my life, I just can identify this morning, preacher, I'll just admit it this morning, I need revival and I want you to pray for me that God would help me to experience that this morning. Anyone like that and just raise your hand and say, that's my heart this morning. God bless you and you and you and hands all over the building. Church, let's do this. Let's stand together with our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you will, just right where you are. And the piano's going to play. And if God's dealing with your heart, would you just come and kneel? Would you just come and kneel and just make an altar with God? Or maybe you just want to turn around in your, pew, in your, in your chair there. Or just, just sit and just talk to God. I need revival. God, you know my heart. God, you know I'm not where I ought to be. If you're not saved this morning, if Brother God be right here. And he'd love to show you how you can be saved this morning. He'd love to take a Bible and just sit down with you and just show you how you can be saved this morning. Let's do business with God as God directs our heart this morning. Maybe right there as you're standing, you just say, like the psalmist, search me, God. Search me. Know my heart. God, if there's any wickedness in me, would you show it to me? I want to be right with you.